It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. I am feeling under the weather, so today's show is either going to be awful or hilarious. Under the weather? What's going on today? I have no idea. I felt fine when I went to bed, and I woke up like looking for a license plate of the Mack truck that hit me, man. I don't wow. I have no... Maybe it's allergies. Is that a thing? I think allergies are a <laughs> is, thing. That's not, that's not a myth perpetuated by some no. uh, political machine. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. I've never had them, though, and people are like, oh, yeah, mid-30s, that's what happens. Allergies come. I, I, which I didn't know that was a thing you liked. I, I don't know. I just felt kind of immune to them, and uh, this they, may very well be. Grow. I, it's throwing me, though, because you... Uh, when I opened the show, you always mock me for talking about the weather, and now here you are saying you're feeling under I'm the weather. Under the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's both wordplay uh, and, and sassy. Wait a sassy. <laughs> that is the trifecta <laughs> of all the things I love. Let's, turn, let's, just put, let's just put some music on now the rest of the time, because that was my highlight. I'm right sure there. that's what people would love. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, or wherever it is that you get your podcast, and we would love if you would like and subscribe and review all that really helps us out a lot. And uh, so if you've been listening for any length of time, uh, one, you probably realize that Brian and I can, can be kind of all over the place, both mm-hmm. with our interests. Sometimes we'll even change our minds uh, during the course of a segment, which I find kind of fun. <laughs> when you listen back and you're like, well, I really didn't know what I thought <laughs> of that one, clearly. <laughs> but it's fun for us, and maybe uh, hopefully it is for everybody else, to like legitimately be working through some of this stuff yeah. uh, in real time. And I think it's worth stating, we've said it a trillion times, but we're both pastors. So in a lot of ways, like we're in the muck of trying to figure out a lot of this stuff with you. And one of the things that we've talked a lot about uh, is work-life balance stuff, some of the generational distinctions. And so what I want to talk about uh, kind of hits both of those uh, areas because I'm, I'm curious uh, about how millennials relate to their employment, their vocation. And it seems like there's more and more growing research to assert the idea that millennials are actually, maybe to an unhealthy degree, finding their identity in the work that they right. do. And uh, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, it's this great article that you and I were looking at uh, that was kind of flowing around my uh, social media today. This is where we get a lot of the stuff we talk about when things keep getting retweeted or Facebook, people keep sharing it. It's called How Work Became the Millennial Religion of Choice. And here's the distinction you need to make in this. This is not suggesting that millennials are just choosing to work a lot. Because I saw some great feedback on this where people were going, no, we all have so much student debt and are having to work to make less. And, you know, we our money goes less distant. So we have to work a lot. This is not actually about the amount of time you're spending at work. Mm. It is instead a study that seems to suggest and have data behind it that suggests that increasingly those under the age of 40 are finding their identity in what they do. So think of it this way. Wow, I just hit the microphone. Think of it this way. <laughs> when you and I, I didn't have to sell myself out like that either. Yeah, right. No one would have known. It could have been me for all they knew. <laughs> That's a good point. Ian just hit the microphone. Yeah. So uh, it, it's about identity. So it's like if I were to ask you, uh, tell me about yourself that increasingly people will say within the first sentence or two what they do. Uh, They are increasingly becoming defined uh, by what they do. And you and I also talk a lot in here about identity. And um, 
this is where this starts to get scary because increasingly when we as a culture are being defined by what we do hmm. and what we can produce, then that's that, that seeps down to everything about us because then we find our identity, our self-confidence, our self-worth in all of those things. And we know as Christ followers where our self-worth is supposed to be found and where it's supposed to come from. And so those are kind of hitting head on here because as this study says, really for the younger generation's work and work identity is actually becoming the religion. They've called it workism in here, yeah. which they've defined as the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also is the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And that's dangerous. Yeah, let me give you some of the stats. Uh, according to a recent study by the Pew Research Center, 83% of Americans over the age of 40 have some sort of religious affiliation, and 57% say that religion is very important to their lives. At the same time, only 66% of those under age 40 are affiliated with a religious institution, and only 51% say religion is very important to their lives. According to JobVite's annual Job Seeker National Survey, though, 42% of American workers define themselves by the jobs they perform and or the companies they work for, and the number rises to 45% among those under the age of 40. So that kind of lays the groundwork for, uh, like you were saying, it's not just that maybe we're working or overworking, which we've talked about a lot, yep. but it is this... It's seeking my identity, my ontology, based on either what I do or or who I'm doing it for. Yes. And and we're not saying it's not important to have. I think it is important to have pride in the work that you do. Absolutely. Uh, to believe in the organizations or companies that you give so much of your time to. I think that's. I think that's actually massively important. Mm -hmm. But uh, some of this research actually is a little terrifying, and there's uh, a number of different quotes about you know what what does it look like to have a society built on workism. Uh, but one quote that kind of stood out to me is that work by definition in the marketplace, which is a place of competition, is hard as a place, it seems, for me to cooperate, for generosity, for giving, for realizing our full humanity. By definition, even the best of our jobs are about competition of mm -hmm. outdoing the people around us. And later goes on to talk about why that can be so destructive when like a whole demographic, when a whole generation begins to define themselves, the, the underbelly of that is this like, oh, I got to outdo you and I got to mm -hmm. crush you and I got to win against it. To win, there, mu there must be a loser. And there's some real caution about a society built on those premises. Yeah. And sometimes we can fool ourselves, especially when we're younger, to say, well, I have to I have to just com uh, consume myself with work so I can climb the corporate ladder. But when I get to the top... I'll be good. But they also said, in, in, in fact, the opposite has happened. In 1980, the highest earners work the fewest hours. Okay, 1980, mm. highest earners work the fewest hours. But by 2005, the richest 10% of married men work the most, most hours on average. No kidding. According to research compiled by The Atlantic. Basically, they were saying that the rich are choosing to buy more work. Whereas it used to be that they were buying more free time. And so oh, that, right, that right. says something about what's going on in our culture, that even those at the top of the ladder are actually those working the most. That says something about how we value where we're getting our identity, because that can't be just about money, because those are the ones who are the richest. And so it's this idea of identity. And again, I bring it back to those of us as Christ followers. Mm. It's really... If at the core of our faith in Jesus Christ is that our identity is secure in him, then we got to really wrestle with which, which of these quote-unquote religions we're buying into. Well, and this is where I think uh, social media is a double-edged sword, uh, mm. because on one hand, you know, we've said it before that, like, 
what happens with social media is I'm often comparing my blooper reel to everyone else's highlight reel, yep. right? And that can lead, I think, to some of these obsessive work habits and behaviors. But I think as the trend toward experience grows and the trend towards higher pay lessens, yes. I think that there really can be a silver lining to that, that when you see people like, oh, man, so-and-so actually took a 10-day vacation with their family. <laughs> when was the last time I took a 10-day vacation? Well, honestly, even just talking to you about your sabbatical, I right. think— I've never taken a sabbatical and that, you know, you and I are friends, so that's different. But like, I think in its healthiest, yeah. social media can be a place where we can collectively say, Hey, ultimately, man, like your stock going up a, a decimal point is, is maybe not mm. the highest aim of your life. And when you actually see like families uh, or individuals, you don't need to be married for this to matter. Yeah. I think it, it can be sort of a, a wake up call like, Oh, that's more important than the stuff that I've been losing mm-hmm. sleep over. I need to make some moves towards that, which is maybe more hopeful than what is helpful, but I think social media can be a way for us to do that. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it could be more hopeful than helpful, but the helpful part of it is everybody can look in the mirror and make honest assessments of their own lives. Yeah, you right. Can ha- you have that opportunity, and uh, you can make a lot of excuses as to why you're finding your identity in work, but... Uh, this is just true. Uh, we didn't even get into the psychological and the physical ramifications that this article gets into, uh, but it's a big deal. And so only you can look at your own life and knowing uh, really which religion of these you're following. Yeah, no kidding. And to know, it, I guess, at the base to to kind of end this segment in a way that I hope is helpful, that you are not the sum of your accomplishments. Your mm-hmm. value isn't found in how productive you are, right? You're you're a human being, not a human doing. And I think you and I both come with a very Christian bent that you are who God says you are. Correct. And that can feel really cliche and kitschy, but man, I think beginning and ending our days with that reminder actually is a really beautiful way of framing how much we do or don't do, both in work and leisure, mm-hmm. and hopefully can rest more and more fully in our identity. Well, coming up next, I want to ask this question. Uh, what is the point of marriage? <laughs> We're going to unpack that very simple question. Yes, I got it. <laughs> coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. Wherever it is, you get your podcast here. <laughs> that's a throwback. That's podcast. <laughs> get your podcast. I'll take two. I think it's so, what you said. Sometimes you and I assume people listen two hours a day every day a week because <laughs> we bring back old jokes from earlier in the week. Who's got the podcast? I actually definitely don't. And what I find really enjoyable about that sometimes is that people uh, have no idea what we're laughing about. <laughs> and I get some sort of weird joy out of that. Uh, okay, so before we dive into our next topic, I do want to talk about Food for the Poor because yes. uh, the last couple of weeks we've been working with them. And uh, I love that. I love that we partner with organizations that aren't just like doing okay things in the world, but are like literally saving families. And so we've we've focused in on Haiti, which I didn't realize until the last two weeks, like how dire a situation. I like I knew it was bad. It's crazy. This is this is just how naive I am. I, he was telling stories, and then and then when he, when he said something like, "What? Uh, it's you know ninety three miles off the coast of Florida." I was like, that was nuts. What? Yep. That does 93 miles is like, for some reason that really struck me too. So if you're just hearing of this, I can't encourage you enough. Go to 1160hope.com and then click the saving starving families button there. And you can learn more. And for like an insanely affordable amount, you can save the life of a child, like an embarrassingly affordable like amount. Absurd. It's food for a year, water for life. And the, the reason they're able to do the water for life thing is they're like drilling wells. Like they're literally mm-hmm. 
transforming communities by like creating clean water sources where there was none, where, you know, otherwise they're walking an hour there, an hour back for filthy water. So either way, I highly encourage you go to 1160hope.com. Uh, click that image for more information or to make a donation. Maybe, maybe you have a bunch of money. Maybe you can make a $5,000 gift. That would make an impact way, way bigger than I think even any of us realize. And so I uh, highly, highly encourage you to yep. do that uh, right now. All right. So I teed it up before the break. Uh, what's the point of marriage? And uh, Brian, you're so much wiser than I am and have been married longer. What is the point of marriage? Well, then I'm texting my wife to find out. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sweetie, we're on the air. Please uh, let me know. I don't know the answer. It's like, I'm going to test. I don't know the answer. <laughs> texting my wife. So w- this is one of the hard ones because you and I were both married. I've been married. I'm going on uh, 19 and a half years. going to be 20 years in January. Me too. <laughs> Not true. Two and, and a half. And, uh, <laughs> And has that all been two and a half? It'll be, yeah. Yeah, three in July. Wow. Wow, right? okay. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you like, is that right? Yeah, July 31st, sweetie, okay. I, know, what year, I know. What year did you get married? 2016. Okay, that is three years ago. Okay. <laughs> I was ready for that to be a really like 2014. <laughs> so, Ian's math isn't good. Uh, so we deal with this in our own marriages, but then also you and I, we do premarital counseling. We we marry, uh, we do weddings where we are also trying to help engaged couples understand what is the point of marriage. And so I think we wrestle with this personally and pastorally. And where we get ourselves in trouble is when we believe that the point of marriage is my own happiness. Hmm. And when, when happiness is the end goal of marriage, don't get me wrong, marriage is full of happiness. There is a lot of happy moments. But there's also marriage can be full of uh, of tension at times, struggle, all sorts of things, because it's two humans uh, trying to do life together and live together and function as a family together. And so if your barometer is happiness, then you're going to have uh, there's going to be moments in your marriage where that is not met. And that is going to cause anger. It's right. going to cause tension. It's going to cause bitterness. And uh, but yet that's what many of us live. Right. What do what do the fairy tales tell us? They get married and then they live happily ever after. Yeah, right. And that's what we have. And that's why in weddings, uh, I always uh, like to say at some point in a wedding uh, that we are taught that that this is the end. But your your wedding ceremony is not the end. It's only a beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is where the good the hard work starts. And uh, you're going to love it. You're going to laugh a lot. You're going to have lots of happy times. But you're also going to cry a lot. And you're going to struggle. And, and that's what makes marriage marriage. Uh, And so this article that you referenced out of the Gottman Institute, which is an institute that really deals with marriage, marriage research, uh, marriage resources, all sorts of things like that. Uh, They say this. uh, It says the point of marriage is not happiness. The point of marriage is growth. Hmm. And so they are they, they are throwing out there that the point of marriage with growth. And then when you read the article, what they say is, uh, I'm long for the growth of my wife. My wife longs for the growth of me. I cut myself slack that I'm growing and I cut her slack as well. And we're cheer, we're each other's biggest cheerleaders. And therefore we want to grow as a couple, uh, as a married couple. And we want to have, you know, improved by this time next year. And, and this time, and that sounds like sanctification, right? Yeah, right it sounds like right. something we believe in. Uh, and what that allows us to do is to be more forgiving, hmm. to talk about our marriage in terms of growth. How are we getting better? Not how did we let you down or how am I failing yeah. you? How can I grow? Speak into that. I really think this is a really freeing way to look at marriage, not as my happiness, but how can we as a couple together be growing? Which will 
often include happiness. Absolutely. Like, just to be clear, I don't think either of us are say- we're not anti happiness. I think happiness is awesome, and I like I lo- I love being married to my wife. And well, it, like I realized that it seems silly for someone you know, less than three years into this to even be talking about this topic. It actually feels silly because even three years in, I'm realizing how little I knew three and a half years ago. Yeah. But this idea of growth, though, like my wife, one hundred percent makes me a better person mm. and it's not out of any kind of guilt or dangling some carrot or some sort of shaming it, it like she sees stuff in me that no one has ever called out in me uh-huh. that i often respond to very poorly it's i mean i'm not proud to admit but sometimes when you're living life with somebody like hey did anyone ever tell you sometimes you talk like this or you are perceived this way mm. and i can get very very defensive but i can look even at the course of three and like oh my gosh i am so grateful of the person that through my wife's instruction and wisdom and insight, I'm becoming, and I have a long, I have a long, long way to go. I even look at you, you know, looking at two decades with a lot of joy, actually thinking like, man, we keep this up. And there's been some really rough patches and yep. there's been yelling matches and there's been all sorts of like, what, what are we doing? Like, that's just real. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's unnerving to hear from a pastor. I think a lot of pastors would agree. Um, marriage is tough, yes. but I think. If the goal really is growth, and I encourage you, go, go to Gottman.com because there's all sorts of research, resources and research. But this article in particular talking about all growth requires some sort of discomfort, right? Even it's just working out, right? If you want to grow muscle, yes. it involves tearing muscle. So we know that growth involves pain at times. So if our only goal is just constant euphoric joy, which is not possible anyway, we will shun any discomfort, which will keep us, I think, from ever really growing towards the marriages that I think deep down we all actually want yes. in the first place, you know? Yeah, I just love how he writes it here. He says, honestly, marriage is a challenge. And it's a good one because marriage reveals your limitations and exposes your weaknesses, flaws, and vulnerabilities. You're going to have to deal with sickness, tragedy, financial stresses, changes, job loss, weight gain, raising kids, losing parents, other family members. And you have to do it while supporting and satisfying another emotional human being. You mm. can't tackle this stuff and come out on the other side still in love with each other by remaining the exact same people you were when you started. You can't go through all of that together while remaining in perpetual bliss. You have to constantly grow and evolve into the version of you that's capable of facing and overcoming the unique challenges that life throws at you at any given moment. Oof, that's that... what we need to give people before they get married as they're just getting married. Like that right totally. there, folks, that perspective will give you that staying power that we all want in our marriages. If you're just all about your own happiness and that things should always be happy, then you're just going to fake it and you're going to get bitter and Mm. you're going to be in trouble. Like we've got to take a more accurate view and along that process, realize that there's going to be a depth of love, a depth of commitment and a depth of joy and happiness. That's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. Not to pitch it again, but we literally just had a talk on marriage last Sunday. Dave and Sue Ferguson co-taught it and we unpacked a lot of the love language stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I honestly can't encourage you enough. Communitychristian.org to click on resources. That 25 minutes, I think, is so helpful. And we've had so many couples say, I had no idea. People that are like, wow. I've been married 15 years I've never heard of love languages. I had no, really? I had no clue how much I was missing the mark in my own marriage. So either way, I hope, hope that you're encouraged whether you're married or not, that, uh, these relationships are meant for our growth, not just this like euphoric sense of joy and happiness Absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we're going to have an interview with a man named Frank Viola, who just wrote a new book called Regrace. I don't know if you've noticed, Brian, sometimes people on social media disagree a little bit. On occasion. <laughs> on he, occasion. He's talking about not just social media, but how, how do we better embody and extend grace in a in an age of outrage and fury in a way that's actually practical. So I'm really excited for that interview coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can learn more at The Common Good uh, on Facebook. Wow, The Common Good Radio Show is what I wanted to say. Did I mention <laughs> I was under the weather? I think I did mention that. You can also go to 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you get your podcast. But we are thrilled to have on the phone with us right now Frank Viola. Frank, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, glad to be on. Our, our pleasure, man. Here, let me let you all know just a little bit about Frank. He's the author of the brand new book, Regrace, but he's helped thousands of people around the world deepen their relationship with Jesus Christ and enter into a more vibrant and authentic experience of church. His mission is to help serious followers of Jesus know their Lord more deeply so they can experience real transformation and make a lasting impact. He's written a whole lot of books on these themes, including groundbreaking 2018 book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. His blog, frankviola.org, is rated as one of the most popular in Christian circles today. You can also learn more at frankviola.com. And you've written this new book called Regrace, which you were telling us earlier, you you can download the first five chapters for free at regrace.info, I-N-F-O. So I'm just curious, what what is the book about in general, and what on earth compelled you to write a book like this? Yeah, great question. Well, we live in a day where Christians in general cannot disagree civilly or graciously. Yeah, no you kidding. You see this every day on uh, social media. You know, you have bloodbaths when uh, one Christian posts something on their Facebook wall about a doctrinal viewpoint, and then all of a sudden a bunch of other Christians who are their Facebook friends unsheath their swords, and uh, <laughs> then it goes weapons grade. And uh, and these are, these are God's people. You know, these are people who claim to follow Jesus, and I think many of them do, but we've lost the art of being able to uh, disagree agreeably. And so what I've done in this book, the subtitle is What the Shocking Beliefs of the Great Christians Can Teach Us Today, is to show that all of our heroes of the faith from the past, you know, be be it Billy Graham or C.S. Lewis or uh, Charles Spurgeon or Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, all of them, while great men that God used all of them, they were uh, you know, incredible assets to the kingdom of God. They had blind spots. They did not have immaculate perception. They got some stuff wrong. And so if we can see that the, even the greats didn't see everything clearly, then for heaven's sake, why not cut each other slack when we see another brother or sister who we think is in error, whether politically or theologically, because even you know, all these great Christians who preceded us didn't get everything right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we cut them slack, right? So yeah. let's cut up one another slack. Let's re-grace. That's what the, the title means, is to extend grace in a fresh way in, in the midst of our disagreements. And I think the book is needed today uh, more so than ever before, and, and that's why I wrote it. I think you're so spot on. Anytime you're on Facebook, you just see this all over. Could you maybe for us flesh out maybe... What would it look like for us to grow as grace people? Maybe what's a model for graciously identifying and dealing with theological disagreement? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do explore it in the book very practically, but I'll give a couple sound bites here. Uh, first of all, let's say I see you write something on your Facebook feed about, you know, a doctrine that you hold to, all right? And I think it's false. 
Okay, well, first of all, I don't need to be hyperventilating uh, on your thread, uh, accusing you of being a heretic. <laughs> the first thing I should do is ask questions. Hmm. Okay, you know, Brian, Ian, uh, let me first see if I understand you correctly. Are you saying X, Y, Z? Now, right there, 75% of the time, the disagreement is not rooted in substance, it's rooted in semantics. Hmm. But by me asking that question, I'll be able to smoke that out. And you'll say, oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Okay, so let's say there really is a disagreement. Then, first of all, I'm going to think the best of your intentions. I'm not mm. going to judge you to be an evil, wicked person, which is a sin, by the way, the imputation of evil motives to others. Scripture is clear about that. So I'm going to think the best of you. I'm also going to remember that I'm not perfect either in my viewpoint. And if I'm honest, I, I'm going to admit, hey, you know what? I didn't get everything right all throughout my life. Shoot, if, I, if doctrinal perfection was the uh, litmus test for fellowship, I would have had a disfellowship myself 20 years ago. You know what <laughs> yes, I mean? Uh, yeah, right. So a little humility, right? A little humility. Yeah. And then I can ask you questions. Well, you know, Brian, Ian, uh, you hold this particular view. Um, I, I have a little trouble with it because of this verse over here in the book of 1 Corinthians. How do you square your viewpoint with this verse in 1 Corinthians? And so again, I'm asking you questions, I'm thinking the best of you, mm. I'm giving you a chance to explain, and if we have a conversation that's civil, we go back and forth, guess what happens? We both learn. And you may find that I have convinced you to my viewpoint, I may find that you've convinced me to your viewpoint, or we can say at the end of the day, agree to disagree, we'll still be friends. I'm not going to block you on Facebook <laughs> and call you a heretic. Yeah. Uh, and so I think really if we learn the art of asking questions and not imputing evil motives, boy, we would make such a dent. Yeah. And the world would look and they would say, these Christians, hey, even when they disagree, they don't slaughter one another like we do. Yeah, you know no what I mean? kidding. Absolutely. Frank, you are, you are like speaking to my heart, man, because that's <laughs> that's a lot of our vision for this show is to create space for dialogue in like our, you know, our echo chambers and our confirmation biases. How do we actually lean in to have conversation? And I'm actually working on a sermon today uh, for a couple of weeks from now called The World's Gone Mad. And we're talking about why we get into all these fights. And I was I was just reading Proverbs 15, one, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. This idea that like, oh, it's insatiable for some of us to just go after each other, especially on social media. And everything you said makes so much sense. Why, why is this so difficult? Like, why is it for so hard for us to, like, set aside our perspective for a half a second to, like, really put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else and to, to listen, not just to respond, but listen to understand? Why, why do you think that's such a challenge for us? Well, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it is just pride, and uh, we lose touch with the fact that we all have changed our views over time. And, uh, you know, it's just a toxic mix. We see it around us. We see people bickering. Mm. We see people slaughtering one another. And so, you know, it's easy to forget the supreme command of Jesus that he gave to his disciples, and that is treat others the same way you want to be treated. All right? And that's fulfilled on the prophet. So if I, if I disagree with someone online, okay, my first instinct, if I'm in touch with the Holy Spirit, is going to be, I'm going to treat this person the way I would want to be treated if they mm. disagreed with me, yeah. right? So I don't want them judging my motives. I don't want them, you know, uh, second-guessing uh, what's in my heart. I don't want them jumping to conclusions. I want them to ask me questions, right? right? And and that's exactly what uh, what's needed, is just yeah. the art of asking questions. You know, there's a great story in the book about two... Uh, 
great Christian leaders, John Wesley, who was an Arminian, and uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a Calvinist. And, you know, Arminians and Calvinists bitterly disagree. Yes. <laughs> and historically, they call each other heretics. Well, one day Charles Spurgeon asked the question, will we see John Wesley in heaven? And, and, and Spurgeon said this, he said, I don't think so, because he will be so close to the throne of God and we so far away, we will hardly get sight of him. Wow. He, he said that about a, a theological awesome. opponent, but he, he saw past the doctrinal differences and understood that John Wesley was a man of God who loved God, and God used him despite his quote-unquote flawed theology, yeah. at least in Spurgeon's view. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so this is, this is what the book is about. It's very fascinating, too, because I go through all these different people in history, you know, all of our heroes who shaped the Christian faith, and I show where they where they have held to views that most Christians would think are shocking, surprising, or in error, and yet God still used them. They were a great asset to the kingdom of God, and so to cut one another slack when we uh, cross a disagreement. That's awesome. Frank, thank you so much. This has been like cool rain on a parched soul. I got, I got, uh, <laughs> we, we would love to have you back sometime. If you're just joining us, we've been talking with Frank Viola, author of the new book, Regrace. You can learn more at frankviola.com. You can also download the first five chapters of Regrace at regrace.info, I-N-F-O. Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to join thank us today. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Really appreciate it. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, uh, who is a little under the weather, so forgive me. Uh, joined by Brian Fromm, who is over the weather. I am like so above he's the above, weather right he's now. Above, it is, he's in a different stratosphere. I'm like the weather, I can barely see it from why, where I'm at. Why does no one say that when they're feeling great? Because I'm under the weather, so I'm above the weather. Or yeah. I am the weather. <laughs> hey, can you imagine? You're walking on the street. Hey, Brian, how are you? I am the weather. How are you feeling? <laughs> above the weather. Uh, of the weather. Birth, do, birth from the weather. And it does feel like you have to say it that way, too. How are you? I'm above the weather. Yeah, you couldn't say it like Napoleon Dynamite, like, I'm, I'm above the weather. <laughs> or like, I guess that's more Kip. Doesn't matter. Okay. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good that Radio Show. so weird, too. <laughs> it's the only movie I've ever seen twice in the theaters, ever. Is that right? The only one. You do. I take this as a compliment. You strike me as a Napoleon Dynamite guy. Yep. And uh, I take that. I remember my wife and I, we loved that movie. And then we showed it to a bunch of friends. Like, we're out of town with some friends. We're like, whoa, let's, ha- let's show them Napoleon Dynamite. And there's that moment about 15 minutes in. You're like, it's a bad idea. Do. <laughs> This is a bad idea. And then they ended up enjoying it, but that movie is so, it's cringeworthy at the beginning. If you've never seen it, go see Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, so this isn't really what we're talking about, but I remember the first time I saw No Country for Old Men, which I love. It's a Coen Brothers film. Yeah. It's brilliant. I watched George it. Clooney? Uh, no. Okay, then I haven't seen it. Okay. So it's 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 the kind of, it's, yeah, it's really a love-hate situation. What I didn't realize, so I'm captivated. I, like, cannot pick my job with a guy. I loved it. And as soon as it was done... I was about to say, what an incredible film, when everyone else in the room was like, that was so stupid. <laughs> and I was like, well, because I got to keep my mouth shut. Like, I will not speak. I was surrounded by people that just absolutely hated oh, it. Oh, but that part that part in Napoleon Dynamite where he's stuffing tater tots into his pockets, <laughs> the best. Leave my tots alone. That's Get my the tots. part that stands out to you? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking of right now. I just love picturing someone turning on the radio right now and being like, what is happening <laughs> over at AM 1160 Hope for My Life? I just <laughs> am really concerned about Brian and Ian, or Brian as they but call us. at least us. I'm above the weather. You are, you are the weather. All right, well, with the 30 seconds we have left in the segment, uh, sometimes we just like to do feel-good stories. Yes. I had a couple of people yesterday say, my show was really heavy yesterday, which they didn't say if that was a good or bad thing. Like, well, maybe, just maybe local path. 
Astros would stop hiring hitmen would be good. Uh, okay, I'm going to let that one go. Uh, but every once in a while, and not just feel good like in a kitschy cotton candy kind of way, but like in a, oh, there are good people still. There's faith in humanity restored. Mm-hmm. And the headline kind of says it all. It says middle schoolers credited with stopping a woman from jumping off a bridge. Yeah. What do you think of this story? No, it's just so cool because, A, you always think middle schoolers, like, you know, all they do is play Fortnite and care about themselves. And this volleyball team, they were going for a warm-up run, and they came upon a 47-year-old woman who was going to jump oh from gosh. a bridge. And, you know, like, if you're 13 or whatever and, and you see that, and then it just a um, a cool domino effect happens in which this woman didn't jump. And many people are saying that it's because of this group of middle schoolers. And yep. Again, we don't hold middle school students in very high esteem in our culture, Yep. Uh, sometimes for good reason. And uh, to know that they had the wherewithal and the care to to be able to help somebody like this was really encouraging. So I want you, I want you to hear straight from uh, the boy's mouth. Joshua Velasquez, 13 years old. Here, here's what he said. I realized what was going on when her foot started dangling. Then after that, uh, we all ran down as a team to go to our coach. So they so they run and they tell their coach, uh, which, I mean, that's the responsible thing to do, right? And uh, I think the story would already have been great if they told the coach, and the coach, you know, then went and yep. you know resolved the situation. But here's here's how the coach responded. I said immediately, go back up and get her attention, tell her her life matters. So for a whole ten minutes or so, they did not stop yelling, screaming, telling her your life matters. I mean, just think about Come that. 13-year-old junior so hires telling this woman dangling from a bridge, your life matters, and that that got her back up is just, it's heartwarming, it's unbelievable, <sighs> and uh, I am hoping that this now defines this woman's life for the rest of her life. Hopefully yeah. she will uh, get the help she needs, and and uh, she will always remember what these kids did for her. You know what? I would be okay if this is the only thing the church ever did for the next millennium. <laughs> Your life matters. Your life matters. Your yeah. life. Ma- you know what I mean? Like, uh, okay. So obviously, the resurrection and Jesus and all that—that that, that really matters a lot too. But this this idea though that them just simply repeating such a simple, yes, a- almost cliche phrase is what very realistically, very likely saved this woman's life. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I don't. I always thought that I'd get more and more cynical the older that I get. I feel like I get more and more sentimental, actually. Yeah. Like that, I'm just picturing that scene. Like, imagine you're a third party, so you're you see the woman, and you see these 13 year olds, and you you're walking your dog, and you like around the corner, and you see them just shouting, "Your life matters. Your life matters." Like that yeah. gives me goosebumps, man. Like that. In whatever craziness your season is in right now, yeah. whether it's traffic or you're standing in line at the grocery store, or your kids are young, or your kids are old, or your marriage is tough, or whatever, just this idea that hearing emphatically your life matters. Yeah. I think sometimes that's all we need. Don't you think I do? And and for it to be a group of 12 and 13 year olds, yeah. like what's the, what is the um, stereotype we have of these kids? Like, Oh, they've probably see this woman dangling from a bridge and they're all going to pull their phones out. And you know what I mean? Like, we don't think that we, we don't think they have much in them. And the fact that they, I mean, I, I didn't realize until we heard that clip that it was 10 minutes yeah. where they were just like, you matter. And they talk this woman from killing herself and, Man, it's humbling. And like you just said, there's people out there. Like, I don't want to minimize what this woman, what got her to that point. We don't know. Um, but there's a lot of you out there going through really heavy stuff where, uh, you know, God forbid you might be thinking this same stuff. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. Right. And if you're in your car right now, if you're just, if you're having those thoughts, 
like as Ian just said really well, we want you to hear those words like your life matters. It doesn't just matter to us. Your life matters to God. Like you have a purpose. You've been created uniquely and you are loved so much that God sent his son for you and uh, get the help you need. If that if that starts by you texting us or Facebooking us, we'd be glad to be part of that solution. But. You know, hear the words of these junior hires to this woman, like your life matters. And and if you or someone that you know is at risk of suicide, mm-hmm. you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Or, I didn't know you could do this, you could text the word TALK to 741741 or go to com slash resources mm-hmm. because, man oh man, I cannot tell you how many times I've even forgotten this in my own self. And it's interesting because I was reading, uh, I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote. Um, it was so simple. He said, you matter. I matter. It is the hardest thing in theology to truly believe. Yeah. The fact that we actually matter in it the really midst is. of all the noise and all the chaos. And this is what I want to kind of close with because Elijah Gomez was another one of the students. So it's really, it is something profound to talk about the students collectively and this wise coach and this woman's life being saved. But listen, listen to what he said. He said, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. Yes. And then what was best about it is that we know we saved this woman's life, but I'm proud that I was able to do it with my brothers. Oh, wow. Like that to me just feels like church, right? That feels yeah. like the body of Christ, the ecclesia, like speaking life into each other together. I don't know, man. There's something, this is way more than just like, oh, isn't that cute? This is way more than just a feel-good story. Maybe, yeah. maybe today the challenge, honestly, is to stop whatever you're doing and tell someone else their life matters. They may mm. be not on the brink of suicide, but ha- have you ever had someone tell you your life matters and it not been no, like, and wildly not in so encouraging? Many, right, it's, not in so many words all the time, but just when you see people value you and affirm you, it, it can't do anything but uh, raise you up and and make you feel good and keep you going. And so, like you said, like this on 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 a base level is the job of the church and is the job of Christ followers uh, is to not argue with people always and not tell people why they're wrong. It is to tell people God loves you, you are valued, I love you because God loves you, and to build that up in people. It's not coming from other places. Yeah, right. And uh, and people need this, and let's not wait till people are, to put it in the story, or hanging from a bridge. Let's, let's do it regularly in our lives. Don't assume that people in your life know that they're valued. And again, that number is 800-273-8255, or text the word TALK to 741-741, or you can go to Speaking of Suicide. Dot com for more resources. Well, coming up next, we're going to interview in the studio John Geiger, who is the author of all sorts of books, more books than I've read. He's also got experience in radio. He might be taking our job. Uh, <laughs> either way, he wrote a book, Kids Say the Wisest Things. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com plus the show is podcasted and somehow magically liking, reviewing, subscribing that actually helps and uh, I love I love when we get to have in-studio guests and I want to try something a little different because our in-studio guest is the author of the new book Kids Say the Wisest Things and usually 
I would kind of give a bio, but you have so much professional skill under your belt. I'd rather you just introduce yourself the way that you would like to be introduced to <laughs> Adventurer. <laughs> I'm an adventurer, guys. I love it. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, up on a mountain somewhere, although I'm okay with that. But mm. honestly, I think God built me for adventure and uh, wherever that happens to lead. And, that, and that's played out in lots of different ways. Adventuring uh, in travels to 36 countries. Mm. Adventuring wow. in hanging out with all kinds of lost people that God has put on our radar, radar and just having a, a great time going to dinner and, and finding out what it means to follow Jesus when the jokes aren't quite right and the conversation's a little weird. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm an adventurer. Learning yeah. from kids, uh, I'm an adventurer. So, okay, so that, man, that's maybe the best bio I've heard in a long time. How do you pay the bills? Well, we work at Moody Radio, <laughs> uh, good good, good friends of, uh, of uh, AM 1160, and I've been there for a long time, hang out, do some voice work, some production work, some voice tracking, some training, a little photography, a little video, whatever they need. Nice. Oh, Serves the meals. <laughs> <laughs> right now, okay, but last but not least... Uh, who are you? What is your name? I'm John Gager. <laughs> Spelling doesn't help you, G-A-U-G-E-R. But John Gager is my name, and it's great to be with you guys on The Common Good. Thanks yeah, for thanks being so here. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. So you wrote this book about kids, and one of the things that Brian and I talk about all the time is not only that we have kids, but our kids are at different stages. I have a year and a half old and mm-hmm. a four-month-old. His are a little bit older, but I'd love to know just first and foremost... 30,000-foot perspective. What is the book, and why on earth did you write it? The book is a collection of 26 real conversations with real kids who say things that open up windows into, I think, profound uh, theological truth, biblical Mm. truth. Mm. You know, I didn't start out hunting for it. Yeah. Uh, This thing kind of came hunting after me. Uh, I think it started the, the, uh, the, the day that we were in the car. It was Lynette, our daughter. She had just received Christ at the age of five, believe mm. it or not. Five-year-old. And mm. we, we grilled her. Honey, are you sure you know these things? <laughs> That's what every good parent does. Right? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm trying to talk her out of it almost. Yeah. <laughs> Here the kid clearly understood sin, clearly understood Jesus dying no on the cross in her place. She got it. Yeah. Right. One of the things that was instrumental in her salvation was a book from Moody Publishers called My Friend Jesus. And they depicted heaven with all kinds of clouds. Mm. This uh, beautiful painting. Well, we're out on one of these summer afternoons. A lashing thunderstorm has just come and gone, leaving behind these thunderhead clouds that are now backlit by the sun. And she looks out the window and says, Daddy, is that where Jesus lives up Mm. in those clouds? (laughs) I said, Honey, Jesus lives higher than the highest clouds. Mm. And she pauses and smiles. But you know, the wheels of her mind are just cranking. Yeah, yeah, right. And then she says, you know, and this little measure of pride here, <laughs> when you're a Christian, she says, you wonder about Jesus. Huh. And I was stopped in my tracks. I yeah. thought, you know, so good. when was the last time I wondered yeah. about Jesus? You know, we go to church, we sing about Jesus, hear sermons mm. about Jesus, pray to Jesus. But when did I last wonder about Jesus? Mm. That story stuck with me. And one after another, they started piling up until the day came. I knew if we didn't write them down and get them out, they were going to just burst out anyway. I love that. Hence the book, Kids Say the Wisest Things. That's awesome. Again, it's called Kids Say the Wisest Things. And we're going to get into some of the specific stories because they look look fascinating. But I'm curious by this uh, concept of kids and wisdom. We don't normally link the two together. No, we don't. Normally it's kids and tantrums or kids Mm. and... 
in Ian's case, lack of sleep or whatever else it might be <laughs> through and talk, through. Talk more about what it's done for you or just this concept of kids being able to speak wisdom to us as adults. Well, you know, we don't go looking for it, Brian. It's like you said, you know, we're, we're so we're kind of hardwired to think, mm-hmm. you know, the learning goes from us to them, those mm-hmm. little ones. And, <laughs> right. you know, we are we're told in Scripture, train up a child. Sure, that's our job. But along the way, if we're looking for it, I think we do find these nuggets of wisdom yeah. that come and. In their little observations, their unvarnished comments, stuff just tumbles out of their mouths that sometimes is just profound. So one of the things that we were actually talking about earlier in the show was this seemingly insatiable appetite for negativity online. I don't think you have to look very, I don't even think you need to be a Jesus person to notice like, wow, people disagree a lot and there's a lot of vitriol kind of couched in that. How is your book an encouragement in an age of outrage? Well, I think kids are disarming Mm -hmm. and they have a way of saying things that, is blunt, uh, you know. We're sitting yeah, there. Right. <laughs> I'm sitting there with uh, with Lucy. She's what four, five, five now. You know, and she's looking. Hey, hey, you know, you have a gold tooth. <laughs> how, how, how come you have a gold tooth? Uh, I, I, it's it's a crown. Well, you have a Bluetooth too. It's blue. It's like it's like it's no, it's gray. Okay, Great. well that that one needs work. <laughs> that, one needs, that one needs to go through. Thanks, thanks, thanks for noticing. Right? Yeah, they're they're so blunt, but they're not mean. They're right. not mean. You know, I was thinking that's good. One of the things I love about hanging around a two year old is they don't care that you're wrinkled or mm. old or bald. Mm. They don't care. You know what? They know that you love them and they love you, and it's like it's all good. Hmm. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. So uh, there's theology in this book, and um, again, you would think a kid can't give you depth of theology. You would think it's light theology, but I... From what you've said about your book, that is actually not the case. So here we are down in Jacksonville, Florida at a museum. You guys know there are 35,000 museums in America. Did not know that. That's for free. <laughs> I've been to maybe two. Yeah. <laughs> so, so imagine four little kids. You know, eight is the oldest age. They're down to, you know, barely able to walk wow. in a museum full of priceless artifacts. <laughs> Sounds like I a nightmare. This is, going. <laughs> this is a recipe for disaster. One of these uh, items is a vase, or if you're high-quality kind of individual. It's a vase. vase. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a vase, two feet tall, maybe uh, one foot diameter opening at the top. Around the circumference, a bunch of sort of raised relief mythical creatures. Mm. And the docent explains to these kids, this is the god of war. This is the god of harvest. This is the god of peace. This is the god of love. Caleb, who's, uh, who's five years old at the time, faith-filled and fearless. <laughs> he, says, he says, excuse me, excuse me. And this lady's like stunned. Right. No one in 19 years has ever dared interrupt her spiel about right. this vase. Right. And it's happening now. Uh, says, excuse me. And she says, what? He says, excuse me. There's only one God. Oh boy. This lady, she's, she doesn't know what to do. She sputters and stammers and goes, well, uh, yes, uh, well, you'll learn more about this in school. <laughs> she tries to, tries to tidy it all up. You right, know. right. But, you know, I thought to myself, wait a minute now. He didn't do it with anger. He didn't do it. He didn't do it uh, with any kind of pride. Right. And you think about all the misinformation that's going on about God these days. What if we had that same kind of courage, just gently spoke up and said, excuse me. Right. There's only one God. Yeah. You know, I, I thought, boy, he. He was schooling me that day. Yeah. That's really so. We we know anecdotally the passages where Jesus says you got to become like kids, you know, yeah. if you want to enter the mm-hmm. kingdom. And yeah. I I've never really heard someone like give a full fledged sermon on it. We tend to kind of stop. I think kind of short of what Jesus was saying there because we'll say, oh, we should have wonder like a kid, which I think is part of it. Yeah. But what you just touched on about approaching 
questions without pride, without anger. Do you think that's some of what maybe Jesus was getting at? Oh, I'm utterly convinced really? of it in my mm. heart of hearts. I, you know, we, we, we hear this verse and, and people like to say, and they, and they, they label it this way and walk on. Oh, you got to have a childlike faith. <laughs> well, right. you know, that's true. I'm sure that's an element of it. I got news for you. There's a whole lot more than that about yeah. kids that Jesus finds so appealing that he yeah. says, unless you change, and this is to his disciples, the inner core, yes. the inner group, unless you guys change and become like little children, you're not getting to heaven. Mm. I think there's a, a whole lot there for us to discover. Yeah. Totally agree. Is this, uh, is this book kind of a labor of you've been collecting stories about your own children over the years or... Uh, how did they feel mix. about you writing a book about some of their stories? You know, they've been pretty darn gracious. <laughs> and the grandkids had no say anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> Mom and dad signed off, so they're toast. <laughs> Sorry, you're a minor. Yeah. <laughs> now that'll maybe come back and bite me. Exactly. <laughs> you never know. The royalties will help them. <laughs> For the common, not so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's too bad we're not having any fun on today's show. That's a real shame. If you're just joining us, we're joined in the studio by John Gager, the author of Kids Say the Wisest Things. We have him not just for one, but two more segments. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about wonder. We're going to talk about writing. We're going to get personal, probably, my guess. All of that's coming up next right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the Right Reverend nope. Brian Fromm. <laughs> I didn't even finish the introduction. <laughs> you can learn more at uh, Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com plus through the magic of podcasting wherever it is you get your podcasts. And we are thrilled to have in the studio still John Gager, author of the new book "Kids Say the Wisest Things." But before we continue our conversation with him, Brian. I believe you have some words for us. Yeah, I want to tell you about a contest we're doing where you could go see Greg Laurie, Phil Wickham, Lecrae for King and Country. You could win a chance to see them all live this August. Just enter to win now at 1160hope.com slash contest. We're giving away a trip for two to SoCal Harvest 2019 in Anaheim, including airfare, hotel, and a $700 Visa gift card. Sign me up. I know. I'm in. I'm in. Hey. <laughs> A free copy of Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn's book, uh, Jesus Revolution, is yours just for entering. So register now at 1160hope.com slash contest. Uh, it's 1160hope.com slash contest. I see we lost John. He's entering right now. He's entering. <laughs> we're going to see photos of him. Time. We're going to see him at SoCal. Artists. Yeah, right. Different emails, different pseudonyms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that third voice you've been hearing is John Gager, author of Kids Say the Wisest Things. You can learn more at John Gager. Ga- Joe, wow. It's all good. I didn't <laughs> anything, guys. The spelling sure does help. Let's be honest. G-A-U-G-E-R. You got it. Is that right? Yeah. I did that without even looking at the notes. You can Bro, verify. <laughs> All right, so you wrote this book about kids and the wisdom of kids, and it's something that, again, my oldest is a year and a half, yeah. and I'm all, I'm so... Uh, captivated by this idea because I'm seeing wonder even in his eyes already. Yeah. Like we went for a walk the other day and he stopped and looked at ants for about 20 minutes and I didn't even mind. There was yeah. no alarms going off on my phone. There was no like, well, I really got to get to this thing. I was like, I want to see ants through my son's yeah. eyes. Like, is that, what's that experience been like for you just capturing these stories from kids that are, like you were saying, they're just making observations as it comes to them. There's yeah. a real beauty and rawness to that mm. yeah boy you hit it on the head and uh, there's a certain irritation you know as parents you know <laughs> right. that's why grandparenting is so cool uh you know when you're a parent you actually got to get stuff done yeah right as a grandparent <laughs> a little less so <laughs> in fact, in fact, guys, so here's our strategy i got this figured out now all right not that we always do it well uh 
the secret to having a good time as a grandparent when the, when the kids come over is don't try to get anything done. Yeah. There you go. That's a good if, rule. If you do, you know what that makes you? A parent. Yep. Right. You know, you and, did and, that already. And then, and then you're, you're, you're frustrated. You know, well, she's over here and she made a mess there and you're trying to get this. No. Uh, to your point about ants, uh, they, they just see everything with fresh eyes. Right. Don't they? Yeah. So, so uh, here's uh, Jocelyn, two years old. She's had a big weekend at our house <laughs> and uh, it's winter. Time to take her home. Sad moment. I never want to send him home. Hmm. And I bundle her up in her big, pink, puffy winter coat, <laughs> stick her in the car seat. We take off down the road. We go about a mile, make a left turn. From the back seat, we hear, hey, what happened? <laughs> I'm like, nothing happened. You know, I just ignored her, you know. A few more miles, another turn. Hey, what happened? <laughs> Honey, n- nothing happened. We're just taking you home. Right. Another mile, another turn. Yeah. Hey. What happened? <laughs> and then she adds, my chair folded over. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it didn't. And I turn around, and sure enough, she's laying out. Somebody had not buckled her seat no. in properly, me. And so the poor kid's chair is not anchored. It's flopped over at a 45 no. degree angle. Now you got to get the picture. She's in her big pink puffy coat, right? right. She's flipped over like this, oh. riding along, her arms are flopping. She's got a big pink. Puppy hat, it's <laughs> slid down over her eyes. The kid can't even see. She's like, hey, what happened? <laughs> I think she was resigned herself that she was going to take the rest of the ride out there. My chair <laughs> falled it over. <laughs> but I thought to myself, isn't that how how the, how the we describe or would describe our lives sometimes? It feels like mm-hmm. our chair falled it over. Hmm. Like, like somebody forgot to strap us in. Yeah. You know? A relationship goes bad. A, a job doesn't turn out. A, uh, a marriage falls apart. Your chairs fall it over. What then? Well, you know, God's not caught by surprise. And unlike hmm. me, <laughs> a grandparent that's got a lot to learn, he's totally in control and, and he's got you all secure. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Good, I remember going, speaking of kids, just saying crazy things. I remember taking my daughter uh, to the Brookfield Zoo when we had, uh, it would be like my date with her. She, loved, she My older weren't, weren't interested in the zoo anymore. She loved the zoo. We had a membership, so we'd go down yeah. there, and if we saw an animal, we saw an animal, whatever. Like, we'd go paint faces and go home or whatever. Right. And we got there. She's three years old, and I said, sweetie, what do you want to see first? This is you and daddy time. Let's go. And yeah. I'm holding her, and I go, what do you want to see first? She goes, uh, can we go to the, you see the unicorns? <laughs> <laughs> well, and she, you know, I told her, I go, well. I said, sweetie, that oh, that exhibit's closed today. <laughs> I said, you're going to need to ask mom next time you're here. Smart man. <laughs> so so uh, Ava, Tim's girl, Ava, yep. is two. Our son, Tim. He's got a little lovely little blonde two-year-old. She's the best. Eyes that are Photoshop blue. Mm. Anyway, uh, she, she really likes unicorns. And you know how she defines a unicorn? Mm-mm. It's a horse with a poke. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard her say that, actually. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you, in the book, you, you've you given us some of the, the anecdotes, and so I want to hear yeah. one of them. One of them stuck out to me. It's this question. How did a toy transformer turn into an illustration of the Trinity? Because as a preacher, I'm always looking for illustrations for the Trinity, right? <laughs> yeah. We're so going to take did, notes on yes, this exactly. one. <laughs> how did a transformer uh, do that? Well, first of all, an ambitious mom, maybe an overachiever, decided to have <laughs> devotions with her kids one night, and, and they come to the matter of the Trinity, and she's desperately trying to explain it and failing. I mean, she just knows it's it's a major fail. Yeah. And she tries one uh, aspect. She tries another Nothing's happened. And about this point, Mama's kind of beginning to, to question her ability to convey the essentials of the Bible to her seven-year-old. How could I be failing? So uh, she drew in a, a deep breath, and she, she you know, says, let's, let's kind of try to take this straight. Hmm. She says, well, Jesus is God, God the Son, 
And there are three persons in one, God the Father, God mm. the Son, God the Holy Spirit, mm. all together in one God. So Mama is expecting a blank stare at this point, but then her little kid says, wait a minute, I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> That's like my Transformer. He's a robot, a jet plane, and a tank all in one. <laughs> So uh, it's, it's probably a little imperfect uh, when it comes to, to uh, true theology, but it ain't bad. It ain't bad. bad. It, it's enough for a little seven-year-old kid to finally grasp the uh, the Trinity there. And he moved on. It was it was totally open to it. How cool is that, though? So the mom didn't say, actually, no, that's modalism. That's not. Uh, that was <laughs> modalism. No, she surrendered the moment wisely. <laughs> She took it as a win. Yeah, no kidding, as, as would I. All right, so you, you tell a story about a time that you advised uh, a young son of yours to follow his heart yeah. and how that did not necessarily no. pan out the way you expected. Tell us about that story. So we've got these neighbors. I'll call them Bob and Betty. Not saved. Great people. We, we prayed for them all the time. We went out to dinner with them all the time, had them over at our house all the time. And Tim said to me one day, you know, they, they, kids pick up on this. Dad, sometimes... He's like six years old. I just feel like I should go over and talk to Bob. And what would you say to him? I'd say, are you a Christian? Well, Tim, I said, that might be the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I think you should follow your heart, Tim. Hmm. Follow your heart. Well, it's one of those, be careful how you counsel your kids. <laughs> he, comes, he comes to me a few days later and says, well, Dad, I finally did it. Oh, yeah, what'd you do? I followed my heart. Oh, what'd you do? I went over and talked to Bob. <laughs> At this point, he has my full and undivided attention, right? I said, well, what'd you say? Well, I asked him, are you a Christian or not? My heart is now pounding. Right? Yes, right. And, and what did Bob say? He said, well, sure, I'm a Christian. Well, what did you say, Tim? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> and I said, what, what did Bob say to that? He said, well, why would you say that, Tim? Why would you say I'm not a Christian? And what did you say, Tim? Yeah, right. Big pause. Because my dad says you're not. Oh, no. <laughs> so, now you're thinking this relationship is torpedoed and sunk. It's not. Right, right. Because Bob and Betty know that we adore them. Yeah. We're in it for the long haul with them. We've been through it with them. I'm telling you, I'm not sure I gave the right response to Tim. I'm, I'm not sure there's a one-size-fits-all answer. Right. To but I tell you this much. I am certain that heaven is a place reserved exclusively for those who've received Jesus as Savior. And hell is a place for those who have not. I am certain that when I get to heaven, I'm not going to stand around wishing I'd been more subtle with people about Mm. Jesus. And I'm very certain of this, that however awkward the conversation might have been on earth, I will not regret the moment when a little boy had the guts to walk up to his unsaved neighbor and ask him about Jesus, all because he followed his heart. No Mm. kidding. And I'll just say this, too, because I'm actual real life friends with him. Like, you've done an incredible job because Mm. he, I think, is one of the best blends of, like, direct with courage, but also like mm. compassion, like just, God. just having him as a friend in my life I'm has actually been a real blessing yeah. because I think that he lives that out, even though that your depiction of him just now is more Barney rubble than anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I look, I look at the two of them, Bethany and, and Tim in a lot of ways and think, man, yeah. I, they're, they're doing so much right. And I'm really, cool. I'm just grateful for them and their influence in my life. Well, you've been listening to John Gager, author of kids say the wisest things. We're going to keep them if that's all right yeah. for one more segment. Let's hear some stories. Hopefully get some wisdom from the kids in our lives and hopefully, Uh, talk a little bit about a way forward as well. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. Brian Fromm is ducking beneath his microphone. (laughs) 
I wish people could see the setup to know just how what, silly it actually gets in here. What, what's the? He, had, he was trying to see the producer, oh, and I realized it, it I was, was right in the it, it, looked it, was. More, it looked more like he was bowing to you. Is oh, what it looked like. I it just, hey, <laughs> that makes both of you feel good. Then yes. <laughs> Then yes. All right, that third voice you are hearing is John Geiger, author of Kids Say the Wisest Things. And John, one of the things that I love about you and your writing is that you're a storyteller. Mm. And I've often said I think the best sermons are stories. Like sermons that lack stories yeah. for me are are hard sometimes to really uh, connect with. Well, and- it's an addiction, it's a weakness, and it's the only thing I know to do. <laughs> I'm ordained, guys. I preach, but I can't do it without stories. You know, I love mm-hmm. it. I, I I can't do Greek or Hebrew for diddly, but. <laughs> By golly, I'll have a story for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of that, do you have more stories you could just share with us from oh, the wisdom of this book? I'd love to. We uh, we love to go camping, my wife and I. Not the tent stuff where you swap mosquitoes and wake up on a bumpy hard ground and you know <laughs> do all things the natural, healthy way. We're in a, we're in a trailer where you push a button and pfft, the wall goes right. up. <laughs> Queen size. It's my bed, kind of camping. Air conditioning, no. microwave, flat screen TV. <laughs> Come. Yeah. I went out to camping. <laughs> so stay at home. <laughs> no. So we're out there. The thing sits a few feet off the ground. We got a, built a little platform and some stairs. Jocelyn's with us. She's about two or three at the time. And two or three-year-olds are pretty good on their feet. But once in a while, they still kind of get tangled up. Mm. So... It's one of those moments. We're out by the fire. She's in the camper, going to come join us, and something happens. Something is out of sequence, and instead of walking down the stairs, she tumbles down mm, those oh stairs. Boy. Boom, 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 boom. Lands on a ball of dust and tears, and we're like, is she dead? Did she break her yeah, spine? Yeah, Louise, right. Is she bleeding? How are we going to explain this to her parents? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's the big so, one. <laughs> yeah, there's the big one. <laughs> we come running over toward her, but before we can even reach her, the little kid picks herself up, Walks up those same steps, wow. stands there brushing off her arms, brushing away the tears, and she says, now let's try that again. <laughs> Wait, she says that to herself? No, to all of us. <laughs> it's live. The whole campground could hear it. And she walks down those stairs, boom, 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 without issue. I thought, wow, what a picture. Yeah. What yeah. a picture. Isn't that the message Jesus whispers mm. into the ears of every one of his children? Mm. Don't we all take a fall? Yeah. And what does he say? Let's try that again. He doesn't. Mm. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, yeah, right. but that the world through him might be saved. Mm. He says, let's try that again. He said it to David, who, you know, adultery with Bathsheba and then murder of her husband. Right. He said it to Peter, who denied him three times. Yeah. He says it to us. We, too, who have fallen. Let's try that again. I love mm. that. But well, we're supposed to ask good questions, but I think I just want to ask the question. Tell me another story. That's not a question. <laughs> Would you tell <laughs> yeah, me another story? That's a command. Yeah, let's yeah. hear another one. <laughs> so um, we'd notice. Here's another one on Tim that uh, he was at that age when being with grandma and grandpa is no longer cool. Mm. He's probably 11, 10, right, 11. Right. It's just, this is not cool. And yet grandma and grandpa still come over anyway. <laughs> 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 but Tim does something cool. He, he always gives them a hug and he always does this real nice goodbye with them. You know, he, he always is very respectful. I said to him one time, Tim, I, I'm so, I'm so thankful that you treat your grandparents with such respect. That is so cool. I love the way you, the way you all, you know, you do that. He says, well, you know, they're not going to be around forever. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Get this. The next line is, someday they're going to die. <laughs> wow. Thank wow. you for that. There's, there's, he <laughs> is not wrong. Bad, right? yeah. <laughs> and then he says this. That's why I always give them a good goodbye. Oh, man. That was like a kick in the gut. Jeez, Louise. I, you know, that stuck with me. It stuck with me all the way till a night this last September. When I was in the hospital with my mom, hmm. who was no longer responsive and going to heaven pretty soon. And I remember taking the time to tell her I loved her. Hmm. I quoted Psalm 91 to her. I prayed with her. I held her hand and I kissed her. 
And the next morning I got this text at about 5 a.m. Guys, there's no way to say this. Mom is gone, hmm. which was hard enough. But let me tell you something. It was just a little bit easier because I'd learned from Tim yeah. wow. to give her a good goodbye. Wow. Right? You know, my thought from that is, you know, I think every time we say goodbye, it ought to be a good goodbye. Yeah. Right. Every time. Because, you know, if you were to get that call in the middle of the night, that loved one, your mom, your dad, your spouse, your sister, whoever it is, the ultimate had happened. Hmm. Would your last goodbye comfort you hmm. or would it or would it cause you trouble? Right. Standing there at the casket, would you be okay with your last goodbye? Hmm. That's the kind of stuff that I think about now. And that's why I encourage everybody to, if, if it isn't already too late, then give them a call. Send them an email. Send that's them good. a text. Right. Give them a good goodbye and give them a good goodbye every time. Yeah. Right. right. Because sometimes it will be the last time. Yeah. And that's a really good challenge. And I think that the thing that I'm hearing you say that you've touched on a couple of times, and I, I do really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that because one of the things that I've been so captivated by in observing the wonder and awe of kids is they like, they haven't had their idealism beaten out of them yeah. either. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like life can, it just gets hard and you have mortgages and 401ks and these are all legitimate things. I'm what not saying this? any of that's evil. What is this 401k yeah. that you speak we'll, of? We'll, 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 we'll talk offline. <laughs> wait, wait, time out. What is this? <laughs> but you know, they have this capacity yeah. to like cut through the noise and a, a statement like a good goodbye. Yeah. You could have easily just dismissed like, Oh, this yeah. is my kid being a kid, but you saw wisdom in what he was saying, even though he was a preteen, like, why do you think that's so difficult for us to actually see the wisdom in, in what kids are honestly probably giving us all the time? Well, it goes back to this this thought that we're hardwired. We're the teachers. We're the parents. Mm. We're the adults in the in the equation here. So the wisdom, the knowledge flows from us. And uh, I, I think we need to just step back a little bit and say they've got something to say, too. Mm. Uh, there was a time when uh, our daughter, Lynette, had done something that was totally inappropriate. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm sure your kids never have. <laughs> But we decided we were going to make this a teachable moment. We were going to teach her about an apology. Mm. And so I took it upon myself to meet with her in her room. An apology is where you identify what you did. You name the offense. Mm. You own up to having done it. Mm -hmm. You express sincere apology for having done it. And then you ask for forgiveness. That's an apology. Mm. Not just, I'm sorry you're hurt. We, we, We outlined it real well. So Lynette did a beautiful job of with her apology. And then she said, you know, would you please forgive me mm. you know, per the model here that we set up? And I said, of course I'll forgive you. I'll always forgive you. It was cool. We hugged, kissed, life went on. Yeah. A week later, I had done something that my wife deemed was now my turn to apologize to her. <laughs> right. What? <laughs> what? You know, come on, I'm the adult here. Yeah, you're yeah. the adult here. Now go apologize. <laughs> so I went into her room, found her there. I said, honey, you know, daddy should not have said that. I, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. Uh, and I hurt you. That was not cool. Would you please forgive me? Now, I'm not sure what I expected, Brian, from out of her little mouth. But this is what I heard without hesitation. Of course, I forgive you, daddy. Hmm. I'll always forgive oh my you. Gosh. Oh, man. I had no idea she was even listening. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and uh, wow. But just the, the ease hmm. with which... She extended that forgiveness. It felt so good. Yeah. It felt so good to be forgiven so freely. I thought, wow, you know, it's coming back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember we talked about this last week, I think. And I told you, my kids are kind of, uh, I have a high schooler and two elementary school kids. And I remember the first time apologizing to my children and Mm. the power of that is so crazy. Um, John, with a little bit of time we have left, this has been great. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no Uh, kidding. 
who is the best audience for this? Is this just uh, if I'm out there driving and I'm not a, not a believer, is this still a good book for me? Is this targeted just to a Christian audience? Speak to people out there of who this would be best for. Well, we don't hide from the fact that we make a Christian biblical application out of these stories. But I got to say, on a surface level, if kids amuse you, if you're entertained by what they say, you'll enjoy the book at a surface level. You really will. And, you know, we try to make it clear in that book, you know, if you're interested, how you might just get to know Jesus as the leader of your life, the forgiver of your sins. We don't preach at you. We let the stories speak for themselves. But, mm. um, yeah, that's that's kind of who it's for. I love that. All right. So that, it seems only appropriate then. We've been telling stories the whole day, and Brian and I are both storytellers, and we love stories. And I think this topic is particularly fascinating to us both. Would you just wrap us up with one more story? Yeah. So a lot of people will be familiar with the Awana program. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Approved workmen are not ashamed. Bible memory. Uh, Jocelyn's got her Bible verse, and she's a Sparky. Sparkies have this little song, you know, we're sparks for Jesus, sparks to light the world. And uh, typically at Bible clubs, when they wrap it all up, they say, Sparkies, who are we? We're, you know, we're sparks. You know, (laughs) for who? Jesus. (laughs) What to do? Light the world. You know, these kids all yell. They're having a good time. So she's, she's at home, and she's got this little brother, Caleb. He's probably two at the time. And so she's running through this whole thing. She says, Sparkies, Caleb, who are we? He goes, Sparks. She goes, for who? Jesus. <laughs> what for? He says, nothing. <laughs> Caleb, what for? He walks away, and she yells, light the world. <laughs> and I think, you know what? That's a pretty good life mission. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. We're here for Jesus. We're here to light the world. You know, oh, man. Let, let it be so. Let's be yeah. lights. I love that. That's John great. Gager, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. If you are just joining us, that's been John Gager, author of Kids Say the Wisest Things. You can learn more at johngager.com. That's J-O-N-G-A-U-G-E-R.com. Or, sir. Or, if I could, kidssaythewisestthings.com. Uh, Free uh, downloadable chapter, video links, get a lot out. of fun, and more. Kidssaythewisestthings.com. Yeah. $700 Visa gift card. Break more things. We're giving it all away. Outstanding, John. Thank you so much for joining us thank today. You, this is great. It's been a blast. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. And before we jump into Kickers, which is the way we end the show every day with some insanity that we found on the web. Actually, we didn't find it. Nope. Keith Conrad, executive producer, found it. Fault. We've not seen it. It's face down on the, on the counter right now. Uh, before that, though, and we've been mentioning it for the last couple of weeks, Food for the Poor. We've been partnering with Food for the Poor, and they're doing incredible work specifically in Haiti. And if you've read the news at all, you're aware of the humanitarian crisis in Haiti right now. I cannot encourage you enough. Go to 1160hope.com, yes. click the Save Starving Families button, and in like less than three minutes, you can save a kid, you can save a family, you can you can save multiple families. Some of you, 80 bucks is food for a year, water for life. For one kid, mm-hmm. 80 bucks. That's a one-time gift. That's not a per-month thing. So uh, I would encourage you, stop what you're doing. Hit pause on this podcast if you're listening later. 
Go and make some kind of donation to partner with an, in, uh, an organization that's making a massive difference in the world. And we are really, really excited to partner with them. Yep. And uh, we would love to save as many kids and families as we possibly can. Absolutely. And now, now complete right turn. Let's <laughs> read Crazy Story. <laughs> you want to you wanna kick us off, Brian, from? From Florida. Of course. <clears throat> Battery arrest over hedgehog custody dispute. I mean, who hasn't been there? A dispute <laughs> over custody of a hedgehog turned violent Sunday evening. Of course it did. When a Florida woman <laughs> of it did. allegedly struck her mom several times in an attempt to take the spiny mammal from the family's home. Jeez. Police say that Emma Davison, 18 years old, had been arguing with her mother about, quote, living arrangements and following directions when the teenager announced that she was packing her things and going to leave. Davison also told her mom that she would be departing in the company of the family's pet hedgehog. (laughs) But the mom balked at the hedgehog removal, saying that the younger siblings in the house are the ones who are caring for it. In an attempt to keep the hedgehog in residence, Davison's mother told the cops she was blocking the defendant from going into the sibling's room. That's when Davison allegedly pushed and hit her mother several times to get into the room. Oh, boy. The altercation, cops noticed, was witnessed by all the siblings. (laughs) Touché. I wish you all could have seen Brian Fromm's face when that music came on. That was fantastic. Texas! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, art represents reality. No, okay. Canine cinemas in Texas allow dogs in the movie theater. Canine cinemas in Plano, Texas, gives moviegoers the opportunity to watch older films with up to two of their dogs. The dog-friendly movie theater caters to canines with comfortable seating and offers $15 tickets, which includes bottomless wine and admission for dogs. Does that seem like a good idea no. to combine all of those no. things? Younger visitors under 21 are also given wine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're given free soft drinks at the $15 price point, while regular tickets cost $5 for dogs, $9 for kids, and twelve fifty for adults. Oh, yeller, oh, yeller, oh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That would be like the worst place to be. Like bo- a bunch of, of movie theaters. Like here's a bunch of dogs and bottomless and wine. drunk people. How about it? We're gonna put them in one building yeah, together. But, oh, they'll sit quietly and watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to get a follow up story. California counseling available for grief stricken Game of Thrones fans. No. For the past eight years, Game of Thrones has captivated million millions. Now that the show is over, an online service marketplace, Bark.com, is offering qualified guidance counselors who are familiar with the series to help deprive fans who feel their lives are now dark and full of terrors. Uh, Bark.com says their counselors will listen to grief-stricken fans vent about anything from plot twists to writing decisions. The 30-minute and 60-minute sessions cost $25 and $50, respectively. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. <laughs> Did you know there actually is like people raising funds now to try and make an, uh, an alternate ending? It's ridiculous. It kind of is, but also... They do know it's make-believe, right? <laughs> <laughs> One of the memes I've been seeing floating around is, um, I'm sorry your dragon show ended stupidly. <laughs> <Exactly>. How <laughs> dare you end that dragon show I that know, way. but I also kind of get it. Eight years investment in the storyline and right. characters and blah, 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 blah. Florida! Florida! <laughs> Vacationers find alligator lounging on alligator pool floor <laughs> at their Miami Airbnb. I've seen this picture, by the way. It's an actual alligator on top of an, uh, awesome. uh, a little floaty. Here's the, some places in Florida where you can reasonably expect to encounter an alligator. A, sto- a storm sewer, the end of an airport runway, your local golf course. But this might be a first. While in town for a wedding, Georgia resident Dave Jacobs and his family spotted a gator casually chilling on an alligator-shaped pool float at their Airbnb in South Miami. My daughter, who's 14, was like, Dad... This is so meta. 
Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that shovel. Come here. Get him, Mama. Get that gator. Have we, have, we, have we mentioned that we've not picked any of these? No, but it's great. Okay. <laughs> Last one is New York. Long Island gets a first-time visitor. A nine-foot-long great white shark turned his nose into Long Island Sound en route from Delaware, marking the first for the ocean research group that tracks them. Be advised, for the first time ever, we are tracking a great white shark in the Long Island Sound. The 533-pound sub-adult male named for the explorer John Cabot Awesome. Who ventured onto the Eastern? They named the, they named the shark John Cabot. That's awesome. Anyway, there's a shark anyway. in Long Island. You're going to need a bigger boat. Um, you, Somebody catch John Cabot, please. <laughs> that's the most I've seen you struggle with the story, actually. That was. Brian Fromm has doubled over it's now. It's just so random. Oh, man. I must get that shark. John Cabot, <laughs> get over here. What a fun day it was. Again, I can't encourage you enough. John Gager, who we interviewed earlier. Get his book, Kids Say the Wisest Things. You will laugh, you will cry, it will move you. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.